pastors here, and today is my wife Jamie's and my sixth wedding anniversary. That's exciting. Six amazing years. And it's my pleasure to continue our vision series this morning. The title of my message is Resist Cultural Consumerism, Embrace Kingdom Ownership. And I want to remind you of Van's message, the opening message to the vision series, the thing he talked about is we're going to have to let go of ideologies or systems of thinking and beliefs of the world that may have crept into our thinking if we really want to step into the fullness of apprenticeship to Jesus and disciple making that he's calling us to. And so two weeks ago, Jordan just absolutely obliterated American individualism. Wasn't that an amazing message? Thanks, Jordan. Whew, I was convicted the whole time, multiple times. And and so that's obviously one of those ideologies that we absolutely cannot tolerate if we want to carry forward the mission of Jesus. The one I'm going after this morning is consumerism. And just to give you a definition in case you're not familiar with the term, consumerism is the fact or practice of people in a society consuming goods in an increasing manner. So pretty simply put, it's kind of just this economic term. But when you look into it and you look into a, like the more critical or the dark side of consumerism, it really is, as one uh, author described it, the selfish and frivolous collecting of products or economic materialism that destroys individuality and harms society. And so consumerism, it's, it's really just the constant selling and advertising of goods and the motivation to consumers to buy more and to get more. And if you just get more, you're going to be happier. And if you just buy more, you're going to be happy. And, and it's the pressure to, um, and I'm going to get to how it affects the church, but this is kind of what I'm talking about when I talk about consumerism. So like I kind of already mentioned, I do want to call out that in one sense, it's not even really that bad of a thing. Like consumerism helps contribute to a healthy economy and the competitive free market benefits that consumers get. Um, or it helps contribute to a healthy economy and the competitive free market benefits consumers. The competitive free market, that benefits consumers by motivating companies to constantly increase efficiency and excellence in order to win over those consumers. So think about the difference between the Chick-fil-A line and the DMV line, right? <laughs> That's consumerism at play, right? The government, there's no competition, so they can do things as slow and inefficient as they want. <laughs> but in, the, in our consumeristic, capitalistic, free market world, businesses compete with each other, and so it does make a better experience and product for the consumer. But what I want to talk about is at what cost is that true? So I want to expose a little bit of the dark side of American consumerism. And I want to start just by, in case you've never been exposed to this before, just by sharing that consumerism in America is largely a result of intentional social conditioning that happened early in the 20th century. So listen to this, <clears throat> this guy, he was actually related to Sigmund Freud. Um, he was active in the early 20th century 
and he was a pioneer in public relations and propaganda, Edward Bernays. The conscious and intelligent manipulation of the organized habits and opinions of the masses is an important element in democratic society. Those who manipulate this unseen mechanism of society constitute an invisible government, which is the true ruling power of our country. We are governed, our minds molded, our tastes formed, our ideas suggested, largely by men we have never heard of. In almost every act of our daily lives, we are dominated by the relatively small numbers of persons who pull the wires which control the public mind. And then listen to uh, what Paul Mazur from the Lehman Brothers, you know, one of the massive banks that went bankrupt during the 2008 economic crisis. Listen to what he said shortly after the Second World War. We must shift America from a needs to a desires culture. People must be trained to desire to want new things to even before the old have been entirely consumed. We must shape a new mentality. Man's desires must overshadow his needs. So this was not just an, like the consumerism that exists today didn't just happen by accident. This was planned by people with selfish agendas. And the idea of planned obsolescence actually came out of that last quote that I read. This is the now common business idea of conditioning a consumer to believe that a product they have is obsolete before it truly is, a.k.a. buy a new iPhone every year. <laughs> and then I, I think a, a visual just representation of American consumerism that's really alarming to me as a dad of young children would be this next picture throwing up there. So... <laughs> You don't see too many ads like this anymore, but around the time, around the time when all this kind of intentionality was being engineered by social scientists, this kind of an advertisement was common. And the message it was trying to send was pretty obvious that consuming the goods that we have to offer you is something that should start when you're a baby. At the beginning of your life, and then and then continue on till the end of your life. So, that's kind of a quick rundown of American consumerism and how it was, and just a brief overview of how it was something that was done intentionally. And there's of course way more resources that we could go into on that. But let's talk about whether it actually worked or not. Like, did the plan to condition the masses into believing that they need more and more stuff? actually work. Well, let's just read some stats. So first stat that I have here, Americans spend $1.2 trillion per year on non-essential items. That's T as in trillion. $165 billion of food is wasted in America each year, which is pretty sickening when you think about the fact that... Um, Man, I forget the exact percentage. It was something crazy, like 20% of Americans are food insecure in our country. I mean, they don't get the food that they need to live in a healthy way. Um, nearly half the world's toys are in America, but only 7% of the world's children. Which, unfortunately, my house and the just layers and layers of toys <laughs> cluttering every floor is part of that problem. Uh, the average woman spends eight years of her life shopping. 
essentials and non-essentials, but still, a lot of shopping. This one really got me. The average American home has 300,000 items. And I was like, there's no way. But then I started thinking about it and just looking around like, if I counted all this stuff, maybe it would be. And then the last one, perhaps the most concerning, in 2014, American Christians gave a total of $103 billion to church for the year, but spent $57 billion on Black Friday alone. <laughs> so like... They gave this much and in the whole year, spent this much in one weekend. Now, so I guess all that to say, I think that the shift that was intentionally made by people of, and, and, you know, by elite people in power back in the beginning of the 20th century to get us all to buy more and more stuff and to think more and more like a consumer, I think it worked. Now, this shouldn't actually surprise us. Uh, if you go to, you go to the scriptures, um, this kind of thing is what the New Testament authors told us that the world was like. So in 1 John 2, the apostle writes, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Stop there. So what's the dark side of consumerism? It's what the Apostle John just said here. It's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life applied to an entire society. That's consumerism. And this also shouldn't surprise us because the underlying problem here of consumerism is not really a new one. I mean, it actually goes all the way back to the beginning. Do you remember when the devil was tempting Eve what the author of Genesis wrote. Moses wrote, the fruit of the tree was pleasing to the eyes of Eve, or it was a delight to her eyes. Putting something in front of people that looks like a delight to their eyes, when in reality it actually will harm them, has been the devil's plan from the very beginning. And it's just continued to ramp up and increase over time. So that's American consumerism. And the question we need to be asking is, is, the cons is consumerism actually impacting the church of Jesus Christ in America and, and in other parts of the world? But we're in America, so we're going to focus on America. Like has consumerism, has consumerism invaded and impacted the church or has the church invaded and impacted consumerism in the country? So one thing I want to talk about that many of you have probably heard of is the church growth movement that started to, ha started to kind of gain traction at the, end of this, you know, the end of the 20th century. And I haven't done a deep dive study into the church growth movement. If I did, I'm sure I'd be able to really clearly explain all the ways that it was positive and all the ways that it may have been negative. But what I do think is just obvious and I don't even need to make a strong case for it all, is that the church growth movement is, in part, American consumerism applied to church growth. So, I mean, just think about it. The chair you're sitting in, it's pretty comfortable, right? Or at least it's not a pew. <laughs> okay? Coffee. It's almost like 
I remember hearing about a church that didn't offer coffee a few years ago, and it hit me like, it was like blasphemy. Like, what? <laughs> a church doesn't offer free coffee? That's horrible. <laughs> it's like, it's expected now. Like, if you're going to be a church, you better have free coffee for the church members coming in, okay? Now, there is some strategy there because it keeps you all awake, most of y'all, but regardless. Um, you know, church services, they, they often have a variety of, like, communication channels these days. So you have different people up on stage to make things more interesting, and you sometimes have videos, and you combine that with a message and with music, and you've got a projector screen, all of that geared towards creating the best possible experience for the consumer. We even, you know, we have a website that has every bit of information that you would ever need on it. And, and to go a step further, we give you QR codes so you don't even have to navigate the website. You can just put your phone up, scan the QR code, and it'll take you right to where you need to go. And now I do know that for some of you, it's less of a consumerism thing and more of a tech-savvy thing. But still, it's, the point is the I don't think you guys got that, but it's all right. Move on. Thank you, Tori. <laughs> QR codes. Maybe that's part of the tech savvy problem. I need to break it down even more. QR codes. Yeah, it's just, it's just making things as quick and convenient and easy and as accessible for the consumer as possible. Um, the thermostat, we usually, I mean, sometimes it gets warm in here when the Holy Spirit's moving and we'll all tolerate that heat. But for the most part, the temperature stays comfortable. We got this great sound system. And don't even get me started on the live stream. Sheesh. Now, I mean, I should say I'm glad that those traveling or, you know, moms with napping babies, whoever can still be a part of our service, you know, when, those, when they truly can't be here, I'm glad that we have that option. But let's just get honest for a second, okay? How many of us sometimes wake up and just don't feel like getting out of the house and going to church. Or we sleep in and don't make it to church. But we can, oh, I can join the live stream. It's okay. Boom. Join the live stream. And when we're doing that, what we're doing is really embodying consumerism. Because we're saying church is all about me and my needs. It's about me getting my fix of worship. About me getting the message content that I want. And my presence with the greater body of Christ doesn't actually matter at all. It doesn't matter if I'm there or not. We're going to get into it more later, but the New Testament authors had a very different idea of what being a part of a church actually was. And I love it that we're doing one service right now for the vision series because I think this actually highlights this consumerism thing even more. Again, I'm not going to ask anyone to raise your hands, but if you were honest have any of you been slightly annoyed by the parking situation since we started doing one service? Maybe you can't park in your same spot that you usually park in. <laughs> Have any of you been irritated by the crowdedness? It's just too many people here. It's crowded. Or maybe your seat in the auditorium. God forbid someone would sit in your seat. <laughs> you don't get to sit in your exact seat. You're having to be too close to people again. It's just terrible that you have to sit right next to someone instead of having your normal one to two seat buffer zone. <laughs> oh, and then, you know, I think it's totally clear. You know, we're at, we ask you all, hey, can you please move into the middle? Can you please move in? 
so we can make space for other people and like two people move ever. <laughs> you know, the bathrooms are more crowded and more used. And you know what? I might sound judgmental and condemning right now. I'm really not because this is more of a church leadership problem than, than a church member problem. And I'm a part of all of this, I think, these ways too. Um, so there's no judgment here if you're brave enough to admit that some of those things I just said bother you. But what we need to recognize, what's really important that we recognize, is that frustration over parking or frustration over not wanting to sit close to others is not the spirit of Jesus rising up in us. It's not like Jesus is rising up in you with righteous anger to <laughs> condemn the injustice of someone sitting in your seat. It's not. It's consumerism. It's consumerism rising up in us when we get irritated by parking and all these things. And now, I know for a lot of you, it's not about your own experience. You're thinking, well, what if I have a friend who's far from God and I wanna bring them to church and I want them to have a good experience. Like I want them to have a good seat and I have to search for parking. And so it's more of like an empathetic thing for the lost. And truly, I, I really understand that. And I think that's the really novel thing about the church growth movement is that they were just thinking about how can we make things as easy and accessible for the person who's far from God to come and be a part of church. But I think we can do better than making our primary strategy to bring the lost into the body of Christ, getting them to come to a really comfortable church service. Like, I know that works, and I know that that is, like, easy, and you, could, you can really get a lot of people into a room that way, or at least you used to. Now you can't with, with uh, us being past the pandemic. So I understand the logic of that, but I just think there's a better way to bring the lost into the body of Christ than to create this super consumeristic-minded service for them to come to. I really do. And you know what? The reason that we have to do all of these things to make it a more friendly space for the lost to come into is because the average American is really consumeristic. That's why. That's why the parking issue will scare off a non-believer or a seeker or the coffee issue, or the having to sit close to someone will scare off a, a, a non-believer. It's because they're really consumeristic. And so I get the logic of, let's create these services, but are we actually just perpetuating a problem if we do that? Are we taking people who need to be delivered of their consumerism and bowing to it? <laughs> so I think there's a better way. That's what, I'm, that's, that's what this whole vision series is about. It's, I think there's a better way to reach the lost than consumerism and appealing to consumeristic methods. And one last thought on this. The interesting thing about when a move of God happens is that all of these consumeristic tendencies go out the window. Like when there's a move of God, I mean, how many of you went to Asbury again? I know a lot of you went, went down there. Like, do they have coffee waiting for all of you and a comfy chair? How was parking? Did you have a real easy spot to park in? <laughs> and was the production just amazing? Was it keeping your attention the whole time and shifting different modes? I mean, I watched videos. It was, I heard, even heard someone say, you know what? The worship, aside from the spirit of God on it, was pretty bad. That's what I heard. <laughs> one, I don't know if that's true, but that's what some, one person told me, you know. So, but the point of all that is when the spirit of God truly moves and when there's a move of God in our nation, all these consumeristic tendencies 
go out the window. What that should show us is that God is not interested in creating creating a consumeristic version of Christianity. God wants to deliver Christianity from consumerism. So, so let's talk then about consumerism and apprenticeship to Jesus, because that's kind of how I think it's impacting the church at large. But how does consumerism actually impact us as individuals? So last time I spoke, I gave you a bunch of triangles, um, all having to do with apprenticeship to Jesus. Let me just review one of them. You can put that first one up. So the way we're defining apprenticeship to Jesus is that you do three things. You be with Jesus, you become like Jesus, and you do what Jesus did. Pretty simple, really hard to live out. So what I want to talk about then is what does consumeristic apprenticeship to Jesus look like? And I've already hit on a lot of this, so I'm going to kind of go quickly through this. But what does consumeristic apprenticeship to Jesus look like? Well, first off, consumeristic apprenticeship to Jesus, instead of being with Jesus, you just be with what makes you feel good. I want to read to you just a little excerpt from a really incredible book that's impacted me the most on this topic, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. Definitely worth picking this one up. So listen to what he says. And I'm going to read exactly, he puts all these little jokes in there that might sound cheesy to you, so just be aware of that. Okay. I'm just old enough to remember this thing from the late 90s we called boredom. Anybody? You digital natives have no clue what I'm talking about. Boredom? Is that like when you have a bad Wi-Fi connection and your Instagram feed takes more than two seconds to load? Um, Kind of. Just multiply that feeling by, well, a lot. If you were born after, say, 1995, then you can't really remember a time when infinity wasn't in your front right pocket. But I can. There was a time when you'd be flying across the country somewhere over, say, Minnesota, and you'd finish your book earlier than expected and just stare out the window with nothing to do. Or you'd be waiting in line at your coffee shop of choice, five people ahead of you, and you'd just have to stand there. The extroverts in line would all strike up a conversation. We introverts would smile and nod, secretly thinking, why, dear God, is this total stranger talking to me? (laughs) Preach. Anybody remember this? Waiting at the bus stop, stuck in traffic, sitting in the theater before a movie in the back of a less than enthralling poli-sci class with nothing for your mind to do but wander through the infinite realm of possibility. And while it's easy to sentimentalize something as inane as boredom, none of us honestly want to go back to a pre-digital world. We're more efficient than ever. I get more done in less time than I ever dreamed possible a decade ago. But again, pros and cons. We now have access to infinity through our new cyborg-esque selves, which is great, but we've also lost something crucial. All those little moments of boredom were potential portals to prayer. Little moments throughout our days to wake up to the reality of God all around us, to wake up our own souls, to draw our mind's attention back to God, to come off the drug of hurry and busyness and content and to come home to awareness. Now all those little moments are gone, swallowed up by the digital carnivore. The second we feel even a hint of boredom coming on, we reach for the appendages that are our smartphones, check our news feeds, answer an email, etc. A survey from Microsoft found that 77% of young adults answered yes when asked, when nothing is occupying my attention, the first thing I do is reach for my phone. 
So what's his point here? His point is that, and he's largely focusing on cell phone usage, but this applies to everything. The world we live in now, we are so used to being able to get what we want whenever we want with one click or one word that we're just constantly consuming stuff that gives us those little dopamine hits. We're turning on the TV and putting on whatever show we want to watch. We're pulling out our phone and scrolling through social media. We're eating whatever snacks we want when we want them. We're taking a drink whenever we want them. We're looking at pornography whenever we want to. We live in this world where we're just constantly consuming stuff to make us feel good. And all of it is distracting us from spending time with Jesus. Next, uh, consumerism, it uh, competes with our spiritual growth. It competes with the desire to become like Jesus in that instead of becoming like Jesus, we become like our flesh. Consumerism, it's, it, it feeds to the desires of our flesh. And in case you're not, um, oh, know what that term means, the flesh in the scriptures, it refers to like the, the weakness or the fragility of our humanity and our body. So it's the part of you that wants to snap at someone when they annoy you instead of show kindness and gentleness. Or it's the part of you that wants to take a drink or a pill or look at porn when you're feeling anxious. Or the part of you that would rather scroll through social media or turn on the TV than spend time with Jesus. So that's the flesh. And consumerism, the constant feeding of goods to consume is really just aimed at pleasing the flesh. I mean, can any of you relate with me that in today's world, I think if I looked at myself 10 years ago, I would just be astounded. But if I'm trying to get to a website and it takes more than four seconds to load, I like start to feel rage inside of me. <laughs> you know, like somebody, you know, I want to throw my phone or yell at my phone or something. And it's like four seconds. Come on. What is that? That's my flesh coming out. And what the reason my flesh is coming out so easily is because consumerism is trained to do so. And I'm not just a victim here. I've partnered with it. But that's the force that's behind a lot of this. Philippians 2, on the other hand, shares a completely different vision for humanity than becoming like our flesh in consumeristic. Philippians 2, Paul says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Again, the exact opposite of consumerism. Consumerism says, look to your own interests. Look to your own selves, your own selfish ambition, your own vanity and conceit. The way of Jesus says the opposite. Lastly, the third part of apprenticeship to Jesus is do what Jesus did but consumerism makes it do what the average non-Christian does. Really, consumeristic, in a, in a, I can, you could use the term consumeristic Christians and nominal Christians the same way, but when your Christianity is pretty consumeristic, you really just live your life and don't do anything different than the average person. I mean, maybe you have... You pray sometimes, you read your Bible, you listen to Christian radio, you might be a little bit nicer, but you certainly aren't engaging with the mission of Jesus in the world. Why? Because consumerism, it numbs us to the spiritual brokenness and the injustice of the world around us. And it blinds us from 
God's vision for the advancement of the kingdom. We're so, cons- we're so just overwhelmed with consumption and feeding our own needs and our own interests that we can't see the brokenness of the world. We can't see the opportunities God is putting in front of us to partner with him in his mission. You know, in Matthew 4, 19, when Jesus called the disciples and said, follow me and I'll make you fisher of men, there's a reason he didn't say, follow me and I'll feed you fish. (laughs) And the fish metaphor is actually good. Remember when Jesus, he multiplied bread and fish and he he fed 5,000 people and then he fed 4,000 people. I actually think that's a really good picture for us in this, it's, it's, it's a different context, but I think for the average Christian, we're either a disciple who is helping Jesus feed the masses, or we are the masses just being fed. We're one of the two. And there's a reason that it was the disciples that were partnering with Jesus to feed. That is what our call, that's essentially what our call is. Our call is not just as Christians to be fed, to be, to experience God, to to get things from God, to get things from our Christian community, to get to things from Christian classes and Christian worship events and Christian services. Like our call is to partner with God to give away the kingdom to the world. When it comes to mission, consumerism teaches teaches us to say, what's in it for me? If I'm gonna engage in the mission of Jesus, what's my return on investment? What am I going to get out of it? You know what? The simple answer is there is nothing in it for me. At least not when I'm asking from that consumeristic me-focused mentality. The reason I engage in the mission of Jesus isn't because I have this thing that I'm expecting to get out of it. It's because I've become convinced that there is something God is doing in the world that is so much bigger than my life. And that it is worthy of me laying my life down for, laying my needs down for, my interests down for, my happiness down for. And then most importantly, my master's told me to join this mission. If Jesus is really my master, I have two options, obey or disobey. All in all, consumerism in the church leads us to view our relationship with God as another product that we consume to make our lives better. And apprenticeship to Jesus and disciple-making just do not mix with American consumerism. And here's the thing. It's not enough to simply try hard not to be consumeristic because consumerism is vying and scheming to form us into more of its image Every single day, and and it's doing so in ways that we're aware of and ways that we're not aware of. And so what we actually need is what people are starting to call counter-formation. If consumerism, and I believe the spiritual forces behind it, are constantly trying to form us into someone who views our relationship with God a certain way, we need counter-formation. We need to be intentionally pursuing God's formation for our lives. And here's what that looks like. Rather than a consumer, we think like an owner. 
Rather than a consumer, we think like a kingdom owner. God is calling all of us to not think of our relationship with him and our discipleship to him as a consumer, but as an owner. I mean, you know the difference between an owner and a consumer, right? I mean, the difference, it's pretty simple. Just imagine the, think about the way you treat a gas station bathroom and the way you treat your own bathroom. You know, if you walk into your own bathroom and there's a piece of toilet paper on the floor, you might pick it up and put it in the garbage can. If I'm walking into a gas station bathroom, like, I kind of wish I had a hazmat suit on. <laughs> and I'm not touching anything. My, sometimes I hold my breath the whole time I'm in there. I've come out of the bathroom before traveling and like start hyperventilating because I hold my breath so long and people look at me really concerned and <laughs> I'm like, sorry, sorry. It's just so, but the point I'm making is owners have a very different mindset than consumers. Owners take responsibility for their faith. Owners don't think about what they can get out of their discipleship to Jesus, but about what they can contribute. Owners don't think about church as something they get to to get a product. They think about church as a place that they can come and contribute to what's happening, even if it's just their presence. It's undeniable. I mean, all of you, when we all come to worship together in one service, there's just more of like an electricity and an energy in the room, isn't there? There's more, you know, God's presence seems to manifest in a different way. And that just is proof that when we come together and we are doing something in unity, just our mere presence is valuable. Kingdom ownership is very different from consumerism. And ownership is what is the mindset that we need to have. And this is really the mindset that God gave humanity from the beginning. So, I mean, man's assignment in Genesis chapter 2 was to steward the earth and extend the Garden of Eden across the whole planet. A consumeristic mindset would have us plundering Eden and consuming the earth, but our assignment was to care deeply for God's creation and cultivate it into the complete beauty and wonder for which God had designed it. So that was our original job, was to steward the earth or you know, think like an owner. Of course, God is the main owner. He's put us in charge to think like an owner and caring for his planet. And then, of course, all that went awry, and that didn't happen. And so then God decided to start over with the nation of Israel, and it was then their job to steward and advance God's purposes across the earth. In fact, that's what um, was meant when God told Abraham that I have blessed you so that you would be a blessing to all the nations. God's purpose for Israel was to bless them so that they would bless the entire world. They would, as stewards of the earth, as people who have been giving the job to take the Garden of Eden across the whole earth, the kingdom of God across the whole earth, that was their job. And I, I do want to pause and say here that um, I've been really, really uh, kind of preaching hard against like consumerism and doing things that feel good. But uh, the error of consumerism isn't that pleasure, comfort, and enjoyment are inherently sinful. I mean, God blessed Israel so they'd be a blessing. That blessing involved comforts and enjoyments and pleasure. So it's not like I'm saying that pleasure and comfort and enjoyment and convenience and accessibility 
And these good things are supposed to be scorned or avoided. It's just that God's blessing in our lives is not meant to create us into people who just seek and want more blessing. God's blessing in our lives is meant to lead us to be people who seek to bless the world around us. Again, the opposite of consumerism. So lastly, being a part of the body of Christ, it necessarily implies contribution and role. That's what all of this has been leading to. Being a part of the body of Christ, it implies being an owner, not a consumer. It implies being a part of the body of Christ and contributing and having a role in what God's doing in the earth. And this is why the main metaphor that the New Testament authors used when describing the church was the body. The body is a great metaphor to describe how we should view ourselves as part of the church. Like, if, if, uh, if you're the liver in this whole body, right, and you're not working properly, what's that going to do to the body? That's going to harm it. If you are the heart and you're not working properly, what's that going to do to the body? If you're the pinky toe, you know you can't walk very well if you don't have a pinky toe? If you're the pinky toe and you're not showing up and you're not contributing and you're not being a part of what's happening in the life of the church, it's going to have a negative impact on the entire body. The point of the body metaphor to the church was you can't just be on the sidelines. Like you've got an essential role in this thing. Like you can't just be someone who shows up, consumes and leaves and does it again the next week. That's not what it means to be a part of the church. You're a, you are an essential part of the body with a function. I'm gonna skip some stuff. Can we... Can you go uh, to Ephesians 4, 11 through 16? Actually, let's do Ephesians 4, 7. So Ephesians 4, that chapter, is, it's all about um, Paul talking about what the body of Christ looks like. He starts off in verses 1 through 6, and he talks about how the body is to be gentle and humble and kind and unified. Then in verse 7, but to each one of us, everyone say each one of us. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. What does that mean? You all have been given grace to be a part of the body of Christ. What is grace? It's the ability to do something. It's favor from God to do something. You've been given favor from God to play a unique and essential role in this thing that we're calling Vineyard Northwest in the church. And then verses 11 through 16, um, especially when I get to verse 16, but I'll read the whole thing because it's good. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole fullness of the measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Here's a key part. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. 
Another translation says, according to the proper working of each part. I really love that phrase, proper working, because it's not just the presence of each part that contributes to the body's growth in love. It's the proper working. It's you doing what you were called to do. It's you doing what you've been anointed to do, what you've been gifted to do, what God has assigned you to do in the body that causes the entire body to grow up in love. And so if I'm not doing my part, if I'm just consuming, if I'm not doing my part, then I'm either stunting growth in the body or I'm causing deformity in the body. Now, I know there are many in the room who are not, you're not living a consumeristic faith. And, and then there are some of you who are like, if you're honest, you're like, probably none of you are 100% living that way, but maybe some of you, and I put myself in that category. There are ways in which I'm thinking consumeristically about my engagement at Vineyard Northwest and my relationship with God and my discipleship to Jesus. And so, um, because that's the case, I think there's a better way. And one of the best ways to resist consumerism and pursue Jesus' counterformation in your life is to give more than you receive at church. To give more than you receive. And again, some of you are contributing incredibly important and meaningful ways, but some of you, you know that you've been mostly consuming lately. And uh, if Mike, if you want to come back up and play keys, that'd be great. Some of you, you know, you've been mostly consuming. And again, there's no shame or judgment here because I'm sure a lot, if you are realizing you're in that place, it's probably something you weren't even aware of. And, I, and again, I think we all have, none of us are perfect. We all have room to grow in this. So there's no shame or judgment. And guess what? Jesus is not shaming you either. If you find yourself sitting there like, yeah, I think I've been just basically consuming and not contributing, not owning. Jesus is not shaming you either. He is not. He is not mad at you. He's not scowling at you. But he also doesn't want you to stay where you are. He doesn't want you to stay in the place that you're at. He's inviting you this morning on an exodus from American Christian consumerism and leading you toward radical kingdom ownership. And I know for some of you, the reason that you aren't contributing is because you just don't feel like you're good enough to. Like you feel like when I become this good of a Christian, when I get this solid in my faith, then I can contribute something. But right now, I mean, what could I possibly do based on what I did last night or a week ago or whatever? And I just want you to know that it, God is not waiting for you to clean your life up before you start serving him. <laughs> God is not waiting for you to clean your life up before you start serving him. It's actually the enemy that is trying to shame you into being a part of what God's doing. And guess what? If you keep listening to that voice, you're actually never gonna feel like you're good enough to serve. Because in reality, none of us are without Christ. None of us are good enough without Christ. Christ doesn't call, I love this saying, it's cliche in the Christian church, but it's worth saying. Christ doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call, and he's qualifying you. And I know some of you, you've actually been taken advantage of by the church before in like serving or contributing and abused by the church. And, and so that of course would lead you to not wanna get too involved. And I just wanna affirm like whatever, whatever pain you experienced in church, 
participation before. That was demonic. That was not from God. And the leaders who were responsible for that were wrong and in sin, and I hope they've repented. But don't let what the enemy meant for harm from you keep you from walking into the fullness of what God has for you. And I know some of you, you just feel way, 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 way too busy. You can't even imagine getting more involved. You can't imagine adding one more thing. Like, I'm just so busy. How can I do one more thing? And I think perhaps the first thing God might have you do is figure out how to de-busy your life. So for some of you, your first step might not even be um, signing up to serve in the kids' ministry, on the coffee team, getting involved into a house group, whatever. It might actually be taking a look at your schedule and being like, what is in here that does not absolutely have to be here? And how can I make space? Because the truth is many of us are too busy to really follow Jesus the way that he wants us to. And so debizifying our life is the first step. And I know some of you, you just feel so overwhelmed with life, the battles, the storms of life that the idea of doing anything just feels overwhelming and God's with you in that. He's with you in whatever pain you're experiencing. He's near to your heart. And I believe that part of your healing, part of you fighting whatever battle you're fighting is not just gonna be sitting on the sidelines, but it's gonna be jumping in. I think that's, the victory is actually gonna come as you do. So why don't you stand with me? Prayer teams, you can come forward. If any of those scenarios I just spelled out applies to you and, and you want to go, you want to go a different direction today. You want to make today be the day that you start walking out of a me-focused kind of apprenticeship to Jesus and into what God has to you. I'm going to invite you to come forward in a second. I'll pray and then we'll conclude the service. So Father, thank you for what you're doing in our church body. I ask for your blessing on all of us to understand what your call to discipleship on us really means for our lives and to give us the courage and the strength to change and to actually live it out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for coming, everyone. Come forward for prayer. If not, see you next week.